in a book called The Dance of Hope. There's a story about a college student named John. John was blind. He had been in an accident uh, when he was in high school, and as a result of that accident, uh, he could no longer see. He said the accident not only took away his sight, but it took away his hope. He became very angry at what had happened to him. He became very angry with God for letting it happen to him. And so he said that he took his anger out on everyone around him. He felt that since he had no future, he wouldn't lift a finger on his own behalf. He'd let others wait on him. And so he shut his bedroom door and never came out except for meals. His attitude changed over time. And he said that the reason his attitude changed was his father. You see, eventually his father had had enough of this moping, of this self-pity that John was exhibiting. And so one day, John's father came to him and reminded the boy that winter was coming and that the storm windows needed to be put on the house. And he said, do the work before I get home or else. And he walked out of the house and slammed the door. John said he reacted with anger, muttering and cursing and groping his way to the garage. And he found the windows eventually, a stepladder and tools, and he went to work. All the while he was thinking, they'll be sorry when I fall off my ladder and break my neck. But he didn't fall. It took all day, but inch by inch, step by step, window by window, he put storm windows on the house. And that assignment... That experience achieved John's father's goal because it changed John's attitude. He realized his life wasn't over. He realized he could still do something. He realized that even though he couldn't see, he was still useful. He could still accomplish things. And he credited his father. About two years after that experience, John and his father were talking. John by now was in college, and they were reflecting on that day. And for the first time, John found out that when his father on that day gave him that instruction, left the house and slammed the door, he did not leave. That entire day, John's father was right there 
present within three or four feet of John the whole time. When he left the house, he had gone out and made sure that the tools and the stepladder and the windows were, were placed where John remembered them being. And as John went about feeling his way and working on these windows, his dad was just ahead of him, clearing any obstacles that might be in his way. And when he climbed the ladder, his father was right there, present the entire day. I want to ask you, who are fellow Christians this morning, have you ever found yourself questioning whether or not the Spirit of God is really living in your life? I mean, be honest. Have there been times when you have actually had those thoughts? Is he really here in my life? They say he is. I believed he was, but I don't see him. I don't hear him. I don't feel his presence. Maybe he's not really here. Friends, he's really here. If, if you are a child of God through trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in your life, and he is present. You may not see him. You may not hear him audibly. You may not even feel his presence But he's there. He's right there. He's going before you. He's behind you. He's alongside of you. He's in you. And he's doing all those things we've been talking about these weeks. So we're going to talk more about that this morning. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit living inside of we who belong to Jesus. Let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the opportunity to to gather now and, and just think once again about the truths about your Holy Spirit whom you have given to us as a gift. Father, I pray that something this morning would impact our relationship with you and with your spirit who lives in us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't taken your study sheet out, do it right now because I want to draw your attention to what's up on the right-hand corner. It's a quote by uh, Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley, the father of Andy Stanley that the Tower Sedan study is listening to. But Charles Stanley said this, The Holy Spirit takes up residency in believers forever. He doesn't just pass through. He makes us his home. He comes to stay. Now that's what Charles Stanley says. Is he right? Is what Charles Stanley says here true? 
the Holy Spirit takes up residency in believers forever. He doesn't just pass through. He makes us his home. He comes to stay. Well, let's check the scriptures. Turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Starting in verse 37. This will be Jesus speaking. John says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then John makes this comment. By this, Jesus meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, even though it hadn't happened yet, Jesus is talking about the idea that people who believe in him are going to receive the Holy Spirit. That it's something that's going to happen. Turn over to John 14. Here we move to the upper room that night in which Jesus was uh, arrested. He's talking with his disciples and... uh, He brings up the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 16, John 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. So here is Jesus Again, bringing up the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and saying that when he leaves, he is going to send the Spirit. And he says two things here about that. He says that when he sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will be in them. Not just with them, but in them. And he also says it will be forever. You notice that? It will be forever. In you forever. Acts chapter 1. We have the crucifixion of Jesus. We then have the resurrection of Jesus. And after 40 days, he's about to leave and go back to heaven. Acts 1, 4. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is indicating that this gift he promised is going to happen in a few days. It's going to be fulfilled. And he says, in a few days, you will receive that promised gift. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We come to chapter 2 and these 120 Jewish Christians that Jesus asked to wait uh, for that few days until the Spirit comes. 
and is given to them. In Acts chapter 2, it happens. They receive the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of commotion. And so a crowd that gathers is wondering what's going on. And Peter is the spokesperson. And he says in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, this is what, what you're seeing here. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Here's what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, sons, daughters, men, women, masters, slaves. There's a day coming, the prophet Joel said, when all of God's people, no matter who they are, they will receive the Holy Spirit. That promise will be fulfilled. And Peter says, you're seeing it. It's happening. These 120 Jewish followers of Jesus have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, like Jesus said. And then when you come to chapter 8, you have the first time that the Holy Spirit comes upon Samaritan believers. And they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then in chapter 10, you have the first time the Holy Spirit is given to Gentile believers. And they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus used it. But you have to know what that word means, baptize. Baptizo in the Greek. It means to dip, to put into, to submerge. So, if you took a ladle in those days and put it in the kettle of hot water, that's baptism. In those days, if you took a bucket and sent it down into a well and dipped it into the water, that was baptism. When you took some clothes and you put them in a tub of water, that was baptism. The word simply meant to dip, to put into, to submerge. And so when Jesus says, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then it happened, what's, what does he mean? The Holy Spirit will be put into you. He will be put into you. That was the promise. In you forever. And we have record of it happening for the first time for Jewish believers, chapter 2. First time for Samaritan believers, chapter 8. First time for Gentile believers, chapter 10. First Corinthians, chapter 12. <clears throat> And here I want you to look at verse 13. Now remember, we're just trying to figure out if Charles Stanley was right. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. We saw that last week. Again, remember, baptized, baptizo, put into, to dip. So what... 
Paul is saying is we were all put into by one spirit, the one body. We're all part of the one body of Christ. And it's the spirit who has put us into that body. And then he says, it's whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we all have been put into that one body by the spirit. And then says, and we were all given the one spirit. We were all given the one spirit. Chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 6. Starting in verse 19, Paul says again to the Christians in Corinth, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What's a temple? It's a sacred place. That's the meaning of the word temple, a sacred place. And Paul is talking about the bodies of these Corinthian Christians. And he says, do you not know that your body is a sacred place? It is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Isn't that just what Jesus said? He will be in you. Whom you have received from God. You've received the Holy Spirit from God. He is in you. And that makes your body a sacred place. If you feel comfortable, take a look at your body right now. Just look down. doesn't matter what part of it. Just look at your body. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are looking at a sacred place. This body is a temple. Because through the fulfillment of Jesus' promise, the Holy Spirit lives there. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, was Charles Stanley right? He said, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in believers forever. He doesn't just pass through, makes us his home. He comes to stay. Sounds like those verses we talked about. Holy Spirit, given to the followers of Christ, believers, living in them, his dwelling, a temple, and it's forever. Well done, Charles Stanley. You were right. Scripture verifies that. But here's a question. Okay. The Christian, the person who has trusted Christ for salvation, has the Holy Spirit living in him or her forever. Their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Question. When does that happen? When? is the Holy Spirit placed into the believer. We know that he is. That's clear. But when does that happen? 
Turn to Romans, the book right before 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to put this together with a couple verses in Ephesians. But first, Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Remember that statement. It's going to become important in just a few minutes. Whoever does not have the Spirit living in them does not belong to Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 13. Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He talks about the Holy Spirit being a seal, the Holy Spirit being a deposit. He is talking about the Christians being marked by the Holy Spirit, the seal, the deposit. In those days, a seal, think Roman Empire, a seal was a mark of ownership. If, if, if someone in authority put their seal on you, it was a sign you belonged. It was a sign of ownership. Paul says, you were marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit, sign of ownership. He also calls the Holy Spirit a deposit, earnest, down payment, a deposit that guarantees future things are certain. He calls it an inheritance. And he says, you're marked with the Holy Spirit. He's a seal, sign of ownership. You belong to God. He's also a deposit. A sign of certainty that there's more to come. The Spirit is just a down payment until you receive the full inheritance. What is that? Where is that inheritance? Well, Peter talks about it in First Peter in chapter 1, when he talks about the new birth and the living hope we get from trusting in Jesus, he says that we're born again into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Peter says, as Christians, there is something waiting for you in heaven. It's good. It's called an inheritance. And Paul says to the Ephesians, you have been marked with the Holy Spirit. He is a seal showing that you belong to God. But he's also a deposit. 
assuring you that you will see the inheritance in heaven. It's certain. And like Max Lucado says about this, the Christian is signed, sealed, and sure to be delivered. But the question is, when does that happen? When are we marked with the Holy Spirit, the seal of God owning us, the deposit that we will certainly receive what's waiting for us in heaven? Well, Paul tells us, doesn't he? Look at verse 13. Ephesians 1. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You heard the gospel. Having believed the gospel, you were marked in him with a seal, the Holy Spirit. When are we marked with the seal, the Holy Spirit? When do we receive him as the deposit for everything to come in heaven? Paul says, having believed, you receive the Spirit. So when does a Christian receive the Holy Spirit? Is it sometime later after salvation? That's not what Paul says. He says, you heard the gospel of salvation and having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It comes with believing. That's why Paul can say then to the Romans, and we go back there, in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. That's why Paul can say, To the Roman Christians, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That's not hard to understand, is it, that statement? If you don't have the spirit of Christ living in you, you do not belong to Christ. What does that imply? If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit living in you. If you don't have Him living in you, you don't belong to Christ. If you belong to Christ, He's living in you. There is no period of time between salvation, coming to belong to Christ, and then receiving the Holy Spirit. I think Paul is very clear. They go together. There is no such thing as a believer in Jesus Christ who does not have the Holy Spirit living in them. No such thing. The two go together. You receive the Spirit when you believe. You belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit. You receive the Spirit when you come to salvation. Now, why is that important? What's the big deal? 
to know the answer to the when question. When does a believer receive the Spirit? I think it's a big deal. It means to me that there is never and has never been a time in my life as a Christian when the Holy Spirit has not been there in my life. There has never been a time. He's always been there. That's important. Because there are Christians who are wondering when the day will come when they'll get the Spirit. There are Christians who are being told, you don't have them yet, but here's a way you can get them. It seems the scriptures we looked at this morning are saying, you belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit. You received him when you believed. There is no such thing as a true follower of Christ who does not have the Holy Spirit living in them. Doesn't that sound important? I think the when question is extremely important. We receive the Holy Spirit when we trust in Christ for salvation. So, I'm going to wrap it up this way. These truths, these... I think they're simple truths. I mean, we can't comprehend the whole idea of the Holy Spirit living in us. And, but, pretty simple. And what I learned from this is that there is a big difference, major difference, between a person not having the Holy Spirit living in them, which is true of someone who has not trusted Christ for salvation, doesn't belong to him, and then a person who has the Holy Spirit living in them, a believer, a person who's trusted Christ for salvation. Based on what we've seen here, there's a big difference. I mean, we know who the Holy Spirit is, right? We've talked about that. God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God living in us. And so there are people in whom God, by His Spirit, are living. There are people in whom God, by His Spirit, is not living. Doesn't that seem like a big, major difference? Somebody can nod, you know, Doesn't it just sound logically like a big difference? People who do not have the Spirit of God living in them, people who have the Spirit of God living in them, that's a major difference. Knowing who the Holy Spirit is. Here's my suggestion. It is such a major difference that it should be a noticeable difference. I mean, think about it. Holy Spirit living in these people. Holy Spirit not living in these people. Shouldn't it be a noticeable difference? It's like these two... uh, Toolboxes I have here. Some of you have been looking at them for the whole last hour. 
wondering if Marlon was going to forget about it. Why are they there? As you've been looking at them, you probably notice that they're exactly the same. This one looks just like this one, and this one looks just like this one, from what you can see. But there's a major difference between them. And the major difference has to do with what's inside each of them. Inside this one, there are all kinds of tools. There are enough tools in this box to build. Inside this box, there's hardly anything. You couldn't build anything with what's in this box. And yet, from the outside, they look exactly alike. No difference. How would you ever be able to know the difference? You would know the difference if you were to see something that's been built, something that has come from the contents of this box being used and doing its work. And if you were to see something that's been built, you would say there must be tools in there. There must be something in there that helps build what I'm seeing. And you could keep your eye on this box forever and never see anything built. Never see any product because there's nothing in here to help build. What's the point? My concern is that there are Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, who have trusted him for salvation. And there are people who look at them and people who look at those who don't know Jesus and they look exactly the same. They see no difference. Yet there's a big difference. Because there are Christians who, when they trusted Christ for salvation, received the Holy Spirit and have living in them all they need to build for fruit to be produced, for comfort and encouragement in trials, for boldness to share their faith. All the things we've already talked about that the Spirit does in the life of a Christian. It's all there. And yet when you look at those Christian people and look at non-Christian people, you don't see any difference. They look the same because there's no noticeable difference. There's no evidence of anything being produced. Now, I know there are Christians who say, well, I know the Holy Spirit is living in me. And that's all that counts. 
I know he's living in me. If that is your thought, first of all, I'm glad that you know he's living in you. All right? But if that is your thought, then I challenge you to look through the New Testament. And show me where it says that people who have the Holy Spirit living in them only need to know that themselves. And it doesn't have to be noticeable to anyone else. You won't find that. What if God were here in person today the only one who dared sit in the front row. And somebody were to come to him and say, Father God, you remember I trusted you for salvation, da 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 da, and this is how it happened, and I love you. And I know that you gave me your Holy Spirit. I know he's been living in me ever since that day I trusted Jesus for salvation, and you forgave me. I know he's living in me. And as long as I know that, Father, it's okay. What would he say? That's wonderful, son. I gave you the Spirit to do all this work in you, and you know he's there. So it doesn't matter if no one else notices the difference. Would God say that? Not based on his word. It should be noticeable, friends. It is that big of a difference to have the Holy Spirit living in you or not having the Holy Spirit living in you. I think that we as believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit need to Open up that toolkit and let him work. Let him function. Let him produce the fruit. Let him build us into Christ-like people. Let him give us boldness to share our faith. Let him take the gifts he's given us and help us serve with those gifts. To say, yeah, I know I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that's good enough. That's not good enough. There needs to be a difference, a noticeable difference. It's that big a deal to have the Holy Spirit living in you. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It amazes us to think about that. It amazes us knowing who... Your Holy Spirit is. And to think that He is living in us. That He is the seal of ownership. You own us. We belong to You through Jesus. And that He has been given to us as a deposit, assuring us that heaven is waiting and all that will be there. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Father, he's in us to, to do a work to, to build us and to, 
make us like Jesus and to produce these godly qualities and to give us boldness and to lead us and to guide us into truth. Father, that should be noticeable. Father, I pray that you would lead any of us as your people who need to repent of thinking it's okay to just know your spirit's there, but nothing happening. Father, may we submit to your spirit, walk in your spirit, be filled with your spirit, be led by your spirit, that he might do the work he's intended to do. And may it make a difference in our life and in the lives of those around us. In Christ's name we pray.